What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Security Squawk Podcast. I am your co-host, Brian Horning, here with Reg Andre, Randy Bryan, Ryan O'Hara. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Another I just got to say, that, that music just makes Randy so happy. I know. Yeah. He, he can't Something help like it. That. Smile that. He's just got this big old <laughs> smile on his face. Yeah. So, uh, here we go, another week. In the summer, things are eh, kind of slowing down a little bit, I guess. So we're going to talk about uh, some breaches, a couple breaches, right? We got some something going on with Wawa. We got a <clears throat> touch, a one touch point under a ransomware attack. So there are ransomware attacks still happening, even though you don't hear about it. Um, and then we're going to get into what the future might look like. Uh, for businesses when it comes to cybersecurity and ransomware. And, you know, I think what we're about to reveal to you today on today's show is more or less our regulators, our government reacting to the fact that businesses just aren't doing enough today to thwart these attacks and deal with them. And it's costing businesses a lot of money, um, insurance companies a lot of money. Uh, law enforcement is having to dedicate a lot of resources to dealing with this problem. And when they do get involved, they're noticing that companies just aren't doing enough. So we're going to get into what's coming maybe in the next six to 12 months in a lot of different areas uh, for businesses and what they need to look out for. So stick with us to, towards the end. Uh, but before we get into it, remember, our fee for our show is free. You just got to share us out with your friends, family, just spread the word, help us uh, get our message out to as many people as possible, and we will continue producing content like this. And Randy's coming to us from a secret undisclosed location, so if his screen blips, it's he's okay. He's not a hostage or anything like that, so... Maybe I am, man. Yeah, he's, he's kind of blinking some codes with his eyes, I think. Yeah. Careful. Randy, you got to watch this one back because you're blinking. It's funny. <laughs> All right, guys. So let's just get right into it. We got uh, we got some uh, an alleged ransomware attack on this one touch point. Um, but it's kind of, you wouldn't think that a, it would be a big deal for a printing a printer or a printing company to have a ransomware attack, but Andre's going to fill us in on what is going on here and why this is a little more important than just uh, a guy that prints logos and stuff like that. Yeah, so we got One Touch, which is a branding, uh, marketing company, and printing company for health insurance carriers and medical providers. And the reason this is a big deal is because, and I'm going to actually read out the whole list, um, what potentially has been exposed is names subscriber ID numbers, your diagnosis, medications that you're using, your address, your date of birth, your sex, physician demographics information, family history, social history, allergies, vitals, immunizations, and more. And this is a big deal. I mean, your whole, you know, the confidential information that when you go to a health provider and you're, you know, getting information and you have a third party company that now has a breach and is now saying all of this information is out there, it's, it's a very um, unfortunate um, situation. So we know that a notice was sent um, on July 27 after they discovered that encrypted files were on their systems in April. 
So that's three months later is when they they decided to tell everybody this, and um, they can't even definitely say what information was accessed. So that's another thing that here you have a, a company doing work for medical information, and they don't even have the auditing in place or or systems in place to actually say what happened during this time frame. So very concerning. My, yeah, my question there is, are, are they even responding to this properly? Because we, we've done incident responses on customers uh, who uh, had no IT at all uh, prior to, to us being engaged with, with them for a ransomware incident. And we were still able to determine you know, what happened and what data was accessed. So the fact that three months later for a company dealing with this type of information, they aren't able to definitively say much, that's, that's concerning. Yeah, yeah so that well just the thing the thing that kind of sh strikes me on this is we're not talking about patient's info that's at a doctor so a patient goes into the doctor gives the doctor their info and then info gets breached we're talking about a patient goes to a doctor doctor potentially using that information out to another third party provider and then that third party provider is the one that gets hit. That's called a data processor. I think we're going to see more and more uh, le legislation on the horizon. I think two or three states have already started dealing with this because how do you know if it's your data that's been breached, if it's not even your provider, but it's a provider of your provider? Mm -hmm. you know, and how do you know what your provider is sharing with other people? I bet you a lot of these people are surprised that all of this data was shared with a printer. You know, yeah, or a company just, that they've never heard of. Exactly. So it's something to keep keep in mind uh, in the future. We're going to hear a lot. Yeah, more. I, think, I mean, most people's expectation is is that if they do, you know, opt for hard records and not medical or electronic records, um, you know, their expectation is is that th this organization, whether it's your insurance company, Blue Cross, Blue Shield that you're the ones actually printing that stuff. But the reality of it is, is just like we talk about with ransomware as a service, all these little pieces get outsourced uh, to other companies because it's way more efficient um, to do it that way. And that's what's happening here. They're just outsourcing the printing part of their business because they probably print a lot. And uh, it's just easier to farm that out to somebody where that's all they do is have, have that going on all day. So, one of my takeaways from kind of what I'm reading about this uh, this particular attack on this one touch point is <clears throat> a lot of business owners and, and you know businesses of all size, small, medium, large, um, are going to be affected by this breach or breaches in some way, shape, or form. And we kind of touched on it earlier uh, when we started talking about it, but I wanted to kind of highlight it and talk about it as to why this is important for business owners, because having the ability to see what these criminals do when they get into your network is going to do a lot of things for you. Um, you're going to, you know, you could potentially be presented with a proposal for somebody to kind of do this for you. Um, whether they're doing a sock or a seam or collecting this information so that if something does happen, you have somewhere to go to get it to figure out what, what was actually touched or how far they got in the network, things like that. So one of the things that businesses need to realize is it's way more expensive, probably 
20 times more expensive to not have that or try to do that on the back end than if you pay for it up front. And it's a cost that you typically never had to pay before. So this is a new cost for you. And you can easily dismiss that as something that you don't need or something that seems to be a little bit ridiculous that I need to buy that or pay for that or do that. Um, but the reality of it is, is if you don't do that and you have an incident on the back end, if you don't have things that you can go back to and see, you're basically doing what this company is doing, which is notifying everybody about everything that could have potentially been touched because you don't know. So you have to assume that everything has been exposed at this point. And that situation becomes very, very expensive for somebody who has to pay for this. Yeah. And, so. and something else too is this is not a small mom and pop printing company. They, they employ 600 employees, $238 million of revenue a year. So this is this is somebody who signed the what they call in the in the HIPAA world the business associate agreement, the BAA. So there right. there's conversations that have yeah. to have happen and say this is our information. You have to keep it secure. You have to notify us. You know all of these things. It doesn't seem like it was uh, followed or a very slow process. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. You know, this is just the beginning, right? Because they're not even um, talking about HIPAA right now. That's right. And you um, know, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was good. It's going to be a minute before they get on. You know. Exactly. There'll be other fines involved. Um, mm -hmm. Brian, I wanted to just add on to your, your point of having to notify because you didn't know in advance where your data was and how it was hit. Then having to notify everybody increases those costs exponentially. And it probably would have been more cost efficient to have full stack cybersecurity before all of this. So then you're only having to tell the 800 people or 200 people, or, you know, maybe you got to tell everybody because maybe all the data got out. Anyway, I thought this was a pretty good point. Or, I, uh, or yeah. even even more likely you're able to show that, you know, something did get in, but we were able to catch it, contain it, and you only got to tell, you know, a handful of people or, you know, you don't even have to disclose to the public See, at all. So I think people are still misguided in how they think that the this particular like ransomware or viruses today need to be handled and dealt with be, like people think you can just like run a scan and get rid of it you know what i mean like back in the day where you used to be able to take combo fix and remove whatever was on your computer without wiping it or without you know replacing it and we know viruses today those tools don't work anymore so you, your options are very limited in that you're either wiping the machine, which you're paying somebody time to do that, or you're just buying all new equipment, which at the same time, you're going to pay somebody to set up and configure for you on the back end, which costs a significant amount of money. You've already invested in IT equipment. You've already bought you know, and, and if you're a one or two person company and you're just thinking, well, one or two people, right. This doesn't probably doesn't apply to you as much as it applies to a 20 or 30 or 40 or plus person business where you're going to have to make a significant investment to get your IT infrastructure back up and running. So, guys, we got another one here out of uh, 
my neck of the woods, well, at least the company's uh, headquartered out of my neck of the woods. Um, but interestingly enough, Wawa is paying several state attorney generals some cashola to deal with a problem revolving data. That, what's going on here, Rye? Yeah, so there it was their point of sale system that was that was attacked. Um, uh, one of the interesting details here was that the breach lasted from April of 2019 to December of 2019. Uh, so they compromised as many as 34 million credit and debit cards. Um, but that's a long time. Uh, so I, you know, again, that seems like a, a situation where there wasn't proper monitoring in place to see that something something was going on that they didn't they didn't want going on. Uh, what I really liked about this article um, is kind of the consequences of this. Uh, so there were, let's see, Pennsylvania, Florida, Maryland, Virginia, District of Columbia. Um, they, they all, all the states have uh, breach laws on the books. And the, the results of this issue were uh, the Wawa having to pay uh, the fines and the, the um, uh, rewards, I guess, for, uh, for what happened so that those uh, state uh, districts uh, could pay that out to the people who were impacted in those states. So, you know, we were talking a little bit about, you know, if you don't know how many people were impacted, then you have to let everybody know that that's what the law here is in Michigan. If, if you don't know, if you can't say definitively that that person wasn't impacted, then you have to let them know if it was possible that their data was touched, you have to let them know. So things like forensics are super important. Uh, it, it's really important either way. I mean, it's not one of those things where you could just say, oh, well, then we just won't do that. We'll just let everybody know and call it a day. You know, and oftentimes you still have to do those forensics just to prove uh, what data was even there that may have been impacted in the first place. So it's still very important. But that that was the, the big thing I wanted to point out with this one was uh, that these states have these laws and there are teeth to these laws, uh, unlike some of the other ones that are out there. You have a responsibility when you when you suffer a breach. And it's important that you are working with somebody who knows what those laws are and can help do things in the way that you can fulfill your requirements to these laws. Cause otherwise you're just getting in a, a, a whole different mess. Right. And these are, these are the type of laws, I guess that, that business people need to understand that this is the risk you take when you start a business, you have to deal with these very loosely written, you know, potentially loosely enforced or not, uh, laws where one business may not have had to have dealt with this, but another business didn't. In this case, uh, the state attorney generals of these states felt like that this breach was large enough and wide enough where they could, you know, shake down Wawa a little bit, so to speak, and get some money out of them in return for Wawa's promise that they will beef up their own security around this kind of stuff. Um, I don't. Do you guys know exactly what happened here? Was it was it a was a credit card skimming, or did they have back end access? Do you guys have any idea what actually happened here? Just something yeah. dealing with the POS systems. That's all. Malware that involved uh, hackers gaining access to it, but it doesn't go into a whole lot of detail uh, beyond that. So it was yeah. malware. It wasn't a credit card skimmer. Right, and um, the investigated the investigation showed that they failed to reasonably um, have reasonable security measures that would prevent the, the hackers from gaining right. it, and they they were able to get the debit cards, pins, credit cards, the CVV two number, which is in the back, ATM machines, and and um, throughout the ATM machines, and then the the credit card swipers. So let's, the fact that they were doing it for eight months before they were detected. Let's take a look at. 
like what you just said there, Andre, and let's take a look at like, how can we educate business people out there? Like, cause I, like I said, I talk to a lot of people all the time. Uh, my company uh, talks to a lot of businesses uh, and business owners and people making decisions around this stuff all the time. Um, and, you know, a lot of people that we talk to say that they're fine. And I'm sure Wawa thought they were fine until this happened. Obviously, you don't let something go for this long and, and know about it, right? It just went undetected. Um, and, you know, at this at this point in their business, they probably thought they were good. They probably thought they had everything handled. And these are the types of things that we try to educate business people on is that like, you might not be fine. Like you might want to, you know, not put blind trust into your own team and have an outside team come in and, and do some, you know, penetration testing and, and, you know, things like that. So you can get, you know, more reassurance that you are doing things right. So what would in your mind guys constitute reasonable measures in this instance, like what are some things that Wawa could do to make sure that this doesn't happen to them again? Cause like, if I'm sitting here reading this article, I'm a business owner and I'm wondering if this could happen in my business, what are some things I can actually do um, uh, to, you know, protect this data in this manner? I mean, for this specific uh, instance, I mean, most likely they're still running that same POS system. I mean, because they're obviously, um, slow to get secure. They need to find out, okay, so what about that existing system is insecure? What can they do to secure it? You know, are they running Windows terminals at every single, you know, every single place where there's a POS? Is the POS standalone? How was it accessed? You know, you need to know all these things. Um, and then, you know, then they could um, mitigate uh, for that. Um, I don't would know. do that for me. How would I know that? How would I know how to get that done? Um, you All that to, stuff you just said went right over my head. You right would need now. to bring in a professional because you need to, it needs to be looked at to see and, what do we got to do. do what? And a, a penetration test on the POS system? Um, well, <laughs> you, you could probably, you could probably literally just walk into the room and any one of us on these, on this screen could, probably say 10 things that were wrong with it. You know, maybe they're running a Windows XP computer. I see that all the time still um, yeah. for, for situations like like this. So you want a, a, somebody to come in and evaluate your network on a regular basis. Is you need a like full third-party risk assessment. Right. Um, you know, and you, you, you also need to give, I know we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but I'll just hint on it. You need to give some authority to people that make the right kind of decisions when it refers to this stuff. I, I literally have a friend who so? was, was a junior IT guy um, for a very large chain of convenience stores. And he kept telling his boss, we got to do this. You know, we need backups that can't be touched. We need to secure the systems in each one of the convenience stores. They, he was ignored. They were hit with a giant ransomware attack. It cost them millions of dollars. The other guy got fired. My buddy's now in charge and he's putting all those things into place. So, you know, you really need you need to have a system in place where you're making sure that people have the authority to put those things into place and the budget to make it happen also. 
so we got we got recommendations around things being put in place and then this particular instance like what else could or what else could a company invest in in terms of knowing whether or not they have hackers and malware into their system right because you're going to come in most risk assessments are point in time type discoveries they're not going to tell you if something's sitting in there manifesting itself over a long period of time so um what are some things businesses can do around figuring out whether they have a hacker in their system or not like they did for umpteen months that's why monitoring is so important so they they need to have logging i have antivirus why isn't that like why isn't that telling me that i have hackers in my system i have antivirus because the antivirus yeah even the good stuff the 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 better stuff that we use for businesses these days nothing none of that's a hundred percent it's it's looking for signs of an attack you need to have you know some systems in place for monitoring that get eyes on glass to to actually look at some of this stuff um so you have that called how do i how do i buy that if i'm looking for that type of service who do i what do i what am i asking for a cybersecurity professional professional. (laughs) well it is but you want to have some kind of manage detection and response if you want to call it that xdr whatever they're calling it today do you want to have some threat hunting in place like these are the things that you know i hope to educate the business world on that these are things that are out there services technologies that go above and beyond multi-factor authentication and antivirus and you know all the things that you're familiar with uh, for security, there's more to it than that. And these are the things that you should be doing in your business today. And if you really want to guide, you know, we're going to talk about this in a minute, but if you really want to guide on what you should be doing in your business, really take a minute to have somebody educate you on all the questions that are being asked in your cyber insurance application. If you're not purchasing cyber insurance right now, go just pretend like you're buying it and see what they throw at you. And that is a good uh, way to figure out whether you're doing enough in your business or not, because, um, you know, we, we point out all the time, these, these things go from one page to 11 pages in about a span of three years, these cyber insurance applications. So, and, and and I would say that's just a starting point, you know, insurance is, typically a little bit behind the times when with the questions that they're asking those are the attack vectors that they've already been paying out on they don't even include the ones that are happening now in a lot of cases so randy we got this uh ransomware bill that passed the house it's probably not going to pass the senate right it's definitely not going to pass the house in texas um so we got this bill down in uh uh, down in D.C. that just passed. It's the reporting attacks from nations selected for oversight and monitoring web attacks and ransomware from Enemies Act, also known as the Ransomware Act. Yeah, the alliteration of that is the Ransomware Act. Yeah, right. Somebody, so, somebody really, the, really put some effort in to make that all. Yeah, work. the the first point of this article is no one else can have a Ransomware Act again. Right. I know. They just ruined it. Just like a certain uh, vendor of ours ruined the uh, stock that is no longer 
The problem is, is they spent more time figuring out this name and making that work than they probably. Oh, could. I know, right? I couldn't even read it. It was so bad. Like I mean, this guy, this this he just wanted to be clever. This Gus Barickus guy down in Florida. So, I mean, so did you the, ever hear Andre? I don't know. I mean, the basic the basic gist of it is it it requires reporting to take place um, from the FTC uh, to the House Committee. Committee on Energy and Commerce and the Senate Committee Committee on Commerce, Science and Transportation every two years. Um, it focuses on Russia, China, North Korea and Iran. Um, and it's basically to try to get the government to get a better handle on what's actually going down. Um, so you, that's the first thing you got to do. I mean, you need to know what's going on. So the idea is to get a handle on what's going down so then we can start doing something about it. Um, me personally, being in the tech field, being in the cybersecurity field, every two years, I mean, that might as well be every hundred years. Yep. I mean, two years from now, the things that are gonna be different in our industry are gonna be insane. And reporting from you know August of 2022 is gonna be almost irrelevant in August of 2024. So. You know, I would like to have seen that, you know, maybe every, every, every excuse me, every quarter, maybe, mm-hmm. um, maybe at the most every six months. Um, but, you know, we've said this before. We looked at some of the uh, presidential directives, which this is very similar to some of the presidential directives that came out. Um, I believe it was earlier or in the year or later towards the, uh, the end of last year. But bottom line, it's very similar to one of those. And the idea is just start getting a handle on what's going on. But I think it might be like, you know, trying to grab a fire hose after it's already shooting out water with your hands. I mean, I don't know if it's going to help much, but that's my two cents on it. Plus, by limiting the focus of it to, you know, a handful of countries really limits things, especially with what we've been seeing and talking about over the last six months, where these larger groups are splintering off into a bunch of smaller groups. So, you know, yeah, there's probably a lot of of action coming from those countries, but there's a lot of action coming from countries that aren't on that list as well. 100 percent. Andre, you want to chime in on this guy? No, same thing. It's this is. Two years is way too long, you know, in um, an article says it's, it's going to strain the federal government's efforts to respond to recent ransomware and other cyber attacks from foreign adversaries. Two years is way too long to get a report to find out what's happened in the last two years. Like, that's that's crazy. Please, Plus, please to me, one of the, the biggest problems is that the average business owner doesn't know what's going on out there. They don't know how bad this is. And this doesn't get that information really into their hands either. You know, we, we need to have this be something that is important and something that people pay attention to uh, in the small business market. So so they you know, when we go in and have those initial conversations with them, mm-hmm. you know, their first response is, well, I don't know anybody who's had that happen to them or this isn't a big deal or they're not going to they're not coming after me. No, they're not. But they're getting people just like you. That doesn't mean that they're targeting them. That's how easy it is. Yeah, this uh, this whole thing we've been dealing with for a long time. I mean, <clears throat> there's I'm I'm just checking out where we found this article from, and I'm looking at some articles related, and I clicked on them, and they were ten years old. Um, seems like something we've been kicking the can down, kicking the can down the road for a very long time, ten years, and I don't know if we've made made much progress progress in those 10 years for dealing with this problem. And it's only, the problem's only getting worse. 
Um, it's not like, you know, lawmakers haven't known that cyber criminals are after the information of Americans and they're using these different tools like ransomware um, to get to that information. <clears throat> um, and it's a problem. So um, I don't I don't know. I again, I think we talked about it in the green room a little bit. This is this bill has no teeth, so. I don't think it's going to do much. You guys, uh, we're going to pop into this cyber insurance article that we found, and it's from Virtualization and Cloud Review and how cyber insurance is evolving amid ransomware tsunami. So <clears throat> I'm going to pick this one up a little bit and uh, talk about some of the data, and we can just kind of talk about our thoughts around it, but whether or not <clears throat> organizations paid the ransom, uh, 52% is the number right now. 52% of the organizations are paying the ransom. Mm -hmm. um, that's 52% were yes, and they could recover the data. 24% were yes, but they couldn't recover the data. So you add those two together, you're at about 76%. Only 20% of businesses said no, we were able to recover data without paying. And then there was 5% of the, and I think this is maybe the one we want to talk about, but 5% no ransom was asked for. So 75%, of the 76% of these uh, companies in this uh, report are paying the ransom of that 52 percent that paid nope no of so of all the companies surveyed 76 percent of them paid the ransom 52 percent got the data back 24 did not get all their data back 24 percent of the 76 percent And then on the next one, we have uh, how, how the ransom was paid. 47% paid through cyber-specific insurance, and the other 25% paid through other insurance. So it's pretty close to the same numbers there. If you have some insurance, you're, you're, you're paying it. And then <clears throat> paid by the company through uh, – uh, Paid the company 24% of companies paid the ransom, even though they had insurance, and 4% paid by the was paid by the company they were not insured or they were not covered. So, I mean, a lot of cases you're either paying it yourself or you're paying it through cyber insurance. Um, or, or what are your guys' thoughts on these? Uh, on these stats that we're throwing up here. There's another stat right above that, that graph too, mm -hmm. uh, from uh, the insurance company that was interviewed. And, and what he's saying is that they saw about a 50, 50 split of people paying the ransom. Um, right. The thing that I liked out of that was talking about the 50% that didn't. Um, many people assume that they didn't because they were able to get their data back and they had good, good policies. But he says a large chunk of that was, was actually people who just couldn't afford to pay the ransom period. So they were dead in the water. Yikes. 
Yeah, so basically that's putting businesses in a position where they're just recovering the best they can, yep. you know, based on the, their their DR strategy or whatever they try to assemble. So, you know, these, these numbers, again, they're very – they don't look great. I mean, you're – you know, in most cases, you're paying the ransom, and in most cases, you know you're you know you're getting your data back. You got a fifty-fifty shot at getting your data back, essentially, if you pay the ransom. Um, I don't like those odds. Do you? Mm-mm. I mean, this is this is the kind of stuff that we try to bring to the forefront so people understand. Like this is this is where it's at. These insurance companies are paying out a lot of money they're losing a lot of money um and they're paying out you know almost three out of every four attacks they're paying out right um and that's you know that's gonna stop so then that's what this article kind of goes on and talks more about is like you know these companies are not these insurance companies are no longer giving you know they used to basically just write you a check mm-hmm Right. And now they're kind of saying like, well, no, you you now have some skin in the game and pay this and then we'll reimburse you for any expenses. We're not just going to cut you a blank check, which, you know, they they, that's why they have limits on these policies, you know, Uh, and, and they can they can basically limit like. You know, you're starting to see language in, in cyber insurance policies where there's limits like per day, right? So let's say you have a $2 million, you know, cap, but they can also put a provision that says, we're, but we're only going to give you $100,000 per day. So if you're you're dealing with this event for 30 days, mm-hmm. you're not going to hit that $2 million, right, in 30 days. So you think you got $2 million in coverage, but if you really start pouring through the fine print of how they're writing these policies these days, you might find that you're going to get way less than that, depending on how long and how severe the attack is. And, and, and even if you had the, the, you know, that pie in the sky uh, insurance that doesn't require a laundry list of requirements uh, that's going to pay out on everything, there's still that chance that you're not going to get all your data back anyway because you know you pay the ransom and they they don't fall through with the decryption keys or they don't right. get back everything. So the 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 idea of rolling with just insurance and not putting these protections in place uh, can be an absolute disaster for your company. Yeah, yeah. A lot of these uh, a lot of these companies are good at the hacking. Um, they're good at extorting your money, mm-hmm. um, but they're not good at managing your data. And going back to the insurance saying that they're going to reimburse you. Well, they're going to reimburse you after they investigate. Mm-hmm. And, oh, you said 2FA was turned on. Well, they got in because this email address, they didn't have 2FA. Or it, it was a nation, it was Iraq. You know, it was a nation state that we don't um, pay to terrorists. We're not going to reimburse you. So now you're going to be left holding the bag. And, and truly, how many small businesses have $100,000, $300,000 available just to pay a ransom, you know, and then still have to have reserves and payroll and all these things. So it's it's going to be a very tough pickle for, for these companies. Yeah. Insurance is not a, a uh, method where you, where you don't have to prepare. It's, it's not a substitute for preparing, mm-hmm. preparedness. So you need to well, make sure you're doing the right things to, to protect yourself on the front end. And the insurance is, is just your, your absolute safety net, you know, 
if everything goes south and, and gets through to try and make you somewhat whole again. Yeah, I mean, the the if you if you really take a, a macro look at what they're doing with cyber insurance right now, it, they're simply putting the things in place that are going to make businesses invest in this stuff because they want to see businesses making a concerted effort to actually invest and get better with cybersecurity and mature their security posture, you know, in, in their business. And in that process, they're doing two things. They're increasing these requirements or the questions that they're asking, but they're also increasing premiums, right? So for a company to get insurance that does hundreds of millions or billions of dollars a year, you're talking hundreds and hundreds of thousand dollars in premium. You're not talking like a $4,000 or $5,000, $6,000 policy. And if you can show investment into certain things in your cybersecurity program, these insurance companies will then reduce the premium. I think where a lot of small businesses fall is they're just getting denied. <clears throat> it's not a matter of like paying more or charging them more. It's just more like, okay, you're just not doing enough and you're not insurable. Mm -hmm. um, and these are the things that really, you know, you're going to have to start having conversations with your insurance carrier about what you're doing around cybersecurity. Um, if you don't have somebody in your company who can do that for you. Um, otherwise, you're not going to get cyber insurance or you're going to be paying way more than you, you should. You're going to be paying more than your fair share uh, for the coverage that, that you qualify for, so to speak. So anything else you guys want to add on the cyber insurance front? I mean, cyber insurers are kind of taking the lead on this stuff. Um, that's my opinion. Yeah, they're kind of the, the back back uh, doorway of, of regulating things at this point. You know, with, yeah. with the absence of actual government regulation, uh, the insurance company is kind of pushing things and, and, and in that, the right direction. And that's, you know, they're pushing... <clears throat> You know, they're raising the bar, so to speak, with cyber insurance in just all businesses across all industries. Um, but the financial service industries and specifically the New York Department of Financial Services has really been one of those organizations that I always looked at as, OK, let's take a look at what they're doing um, over there, because they're usually ahead of the curve, much ahead of the curve than a lot of industries and a lot of government uh initiatives that are out there are definitely state and federal laws for sure um so let's talk about a little bit of, about what's going on with this uh new york dfs part 500 cybersecurity rules that they're expanding on for 2022 um just go through a couple uh, go ahead Oh, one more thing on the, the past, um, the article we just finished on. Uh, they also mentioned on the page two where they're now doing reductions of premiums. Dude, you just, we moved on from that. Come I've on. got one also, Brian, so I'm supportive of Andre. Wait, I'm got, I, oh, wait, hold on. Time out. I went through that whole article and you guys were silent. And Ryan and I were the only two talking. And now I move on and you want to talk about no, no, it. You, you even said, do you have anything else to say on this one? I did. <laughs> no, no. It, it's interesting because like, just like here in, in Florida, if we get a new roof or if we get hurricane-proof you know, windows and sliding doors, we get a break on the insurance. So here it's, it's saying that now insurance companies 
are, if you're providing this type of proof, they're, they're reducing your premium. Mm -hmm. That's what I, I said. Yeah, there was, there was one thing that jumped out of me. It was literally right at the end, Brian, was the ver actually the very first paragraph where he said that switching out your hardware can now, the fact that you don't switch it out every five years can make you in breach of your cybersecurity insurance. That's the first that I've heard of that. Yeah, I mean, I know it's great yeah. progress, but that's the first that I've heard of that. And I bet you it's something that NYDFS is going to cover. Let's look and see. Let's see. I don't know. So let's see. Our cyber insurers are, are, are raising the bar for companies. And let's see what DFS is proposing, because quite frankly, you know, within 12 to 24 months, whatever DFS is doing, um, other industries are going to be doing, if not your cyber insurers or even, you know, eventually your federal laws. So. Uh, new obligations for class A companies, which are basically companies over 2,000 employees or a billion in gross annual revenue. So if this is you, these are the things you have to do. So first one, I'll go through all four and then we can talk about kind of everything uh, as, as a whole. So well, the first thing you got to do is audits, uh, which is an independent audit of the company's cybersecurity program must be conducted at least annually. I'm going to say that, that, you know, important independent audit. That means you can't be checking your own work and you can't be working with, you know, any partners that help manage or maintain your infrastructure, or your security. Uh, you're going to have to do vulnerability assessments. You're going to have to do systematic scans or reviews of information systems, and it must be conducted at least weekly. Wow. And any material gaps found during testing must be documented, reported to the board and senior management. Wow. Password controls. A password vaulting solution must be implemented for privileged accounts along with an automated method of blocking commonly used passwords. Monitoring, an endpoint detection and response solution must be implemented to monitor anomalous activity, including lateral movement, as well as centralized logging and security event alerting. See, I wish I know Wawa is going to have to do that now, and they should have did it, and they wouldn't have got caught with their pants down. Uh, but that's what we were talking about earlier is, you know, you know, looking for uh, activity like lateral movement and then doing things within your environment without you knowing about it. So let's talk about this. Class A companies, over 2,000 employees, they got the money, right? You know, if you can hire 2,000 employees, you probably have money for this stuff. Um, and it's interesting to me that, the you know, the regulators are coming out and saying you now have to do this stuff or you're going to have to very shortly. Um, <clears throat> my first, you know, kind of impression is, is, I'm glad they're telling them they have to do this. But again, this is still playing catch up in my opinion. Like we, you can still do more around a lot of, you can do more than what's listed here. Um, but personally, I'll just say, and then I'll hand it off to you three. I like the idea of the vulnerability assessments conducted weekly and the gaps and everything that was found during that must be reported to the board and senior management. That is phenomenal because now you're you're now shifting corporations' mindsets from, okay, we can just blame our IT group when something goes wrong 
And now it's put being put squarely on the board and senior management shoulders to know about and deal with these issues. And you can no longer say we didn't know because, you know, our IT group handles that. Yeah. They've, they've taken a, it looks like they've taken a good hard look at how companies run sometimes Mm -hmm. and they're trying to take away places where sometimes these things get hidden, if you will, like my friend at the company where he worked at, you know, the, the uh, literal IT director, not willing to make those changes, whether he went to the board or not, who knows. Um, but this whole thing here of, of basically exposing all of that and basically the, the, the typical weak spots, um, making those, you know, where instead of just the CEO, now the board's got to be involved. There's some other things down this article. Mm-hmm. But this is great. This is like a, this is like a dream list for, for people like us to see well, these kind of things. It solves a big problem because one thing that we see often is is the idea of willful ignorance. So they don't want to know about where their risk is because if yep. they know, then they got to do something about it. Yep. But it's like Brian said, it's just too easy at this point to say, oh, well, we didn't know. It must be this guy's fault or this company's fault or it's not our fault. So we got, I want to be respectful of Andre's time. He's got uh, he's given us kind of the five minute warning and there's a lot more to what they're, what they're introducing um, as part of this and what they're, what they want to expand on. So one of the things is making sure that these companies um, have CISO independence, meaning that their their mm-hmm. chief information security officer have adequate independence and authority to ensure that cyber risks are appropriately managed. Basically, you can't be under the thumb of somebody else in the organization who's telling you you can't do this or you can't mm-hmm. do that. They need to have the autonomy to be able to do it. Uh, additional board re- uh, reporting, board expertise, meaning you need to have somebody re- advising your board uh, on cybersecurity issues. Um, and I've mentioned this before on the show that this was coming. Um, policy approvals. Um, CEO certification, meaning that there must be a certification of compliance by the CEO that he signs that, you know, you can't delegate to somebody else, uh, backup and disaster recovery plans. You have to submit those, um, tabletop exercises must be conducted and, and minutes taken and submitted with. Uh, your quarterly reports, if you're public, if you're not, you still have to have them when audited. Um, and then as we go through risk assessments, they have to be customized and tailored. They can't be just something that you do on your own that you download yourself. Um, it's got to look at, you know, it's not just scans on your computer. It's looking at your processes and your procedures and your documentation and seeing how mature uh, not only your business is, but your but your cybersecurity is. Um, <clears throat> these risk assessments have to be updated annually um, when you're looking and doing these tabletops and you're saying like, okay, we, you know, we went through the tabletop and we've, we noticed that, you know, this was a little bit, you know, not as good as it could be. So these are things that you need to document and understand that these are things that we're working on to improving. Um, must have asset inventory and, and access controls. And then the final is, is the notifications, right? <clears throat> the requirement to notify DFS within 72 hours of any unauthorized access 
and a new 24-hour notification obligation for any extortion payment connected to a cybersecurity event, as well as a 30-day reporting requirement explaining why payment was necessary, were alternatives considered, and sanctions diligence that was conducted before making the payment. And then there's all kinds of penalties that go along with this. So... If only this could be what every business follows. Yeah. This real event. Well, that's why we're discussing it because this, yeah. like, we're trying to say to business people on this podcast, the tsunami is coming. Like, it's coming. Like, I'm already running. Like, like, I'm preparing. Like, you're standing there looking at the ocean, saying, "Wonder if that wave's really that big." And before you know it, it's going to be at your shores, and it's going to be too late for you to do anything. So. That's how I look at this. <clears throat> what do you guys, Andre, Randy, before we wrap up, what do you guys think about these cybersecurity rules that are? I, I think they're a little bit great, but will the will DFS have enough manpower to process all this? Yeah, dude, they're one of the most. They're they're nasty. They're yeah, nasty. Okay. Yeah, they're, you don't mess. Really you don't mess with the New York State Department of Financial Services. Okay. They'll put, you, they'll put you out of business. Like you, if you're regulated by them, and especially in New York, if you're regulated by them, you need them to be able to operate. If they shut you down, are, are you saying they have hired goons that'll come, come rough no. you up? No, but I'm saying you need that piece of paper to be licensed to do business in the state of New York when it comes to financial services, and they, you know, I. I quite frankly, I'm a big fan of this group because they're always ahead of the curve when it comes to mm-hmm. cybersecurity and cybersecurity regulations. They're, they're, right right right. Right. they're responsible for Wall Street. They oversee it. I mean, when we talk about legislation, I mean, this right. should be the model, you know, that, that, you know, effective legislation looks like. Well, I mean, you know, just to educate everybody, the, all the stuff that we talked about today that's now being required is all part of the NIST cybersecurity framework. So if you just follow that, you're good to go. But most people aren't. Most people are just doing what they're told when they're told to do it. So they implement multi-factor authentication because that was the thing they had to do five years ago or whenever, you know. And you know, it's just evolving as to you know what these organizations have to do, um, and more and more they're being told you have to do this now you have to do that now nobody has to follow the NIST cybersecurity framework it's a choice but now i think the regulators have given companies enough rope to do this on their own where they're just like okay when we go in and we we have an event we have a cybersecurity breach or a ransomware event when we talk to the ceo we talk to the board they just say oh we don't deal with that we have a somebody who handles that for us, whether it's an outside company or their own internal IT staff. And that's the reality. And this is what this really is putting an end to. It's like, okay, no, you need to take this seriously in the C-suite. Um, and that's what this is doing. And it's and it's helping, you know, the C-suite and the board members un- understand how much is involved and what they actually have to be doing um, before it reflects poorly on them. Um, and this really does remove any chance of any board member or CEO not taking full responsibility for this. So that's it. Great. 
Andre, you want to you want to add anything before we uh, move on here? No, no, we're good. I, I was just thinking if this is going to be like another HIPAA thing. That's what I was trying to get at. Is this is this going to be something with no teeth and all of these? You know, they only hit you when you get caught, type of things. But this is they do only. I get. I'll give you that. Obviously, they only hit you when there's an event, but they 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 investigate way more, and I'm sure they they probably find a hell of a lot more than HIPAA ever has. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's one of one of those things that if you have an event. Now, look, you're going to have to submit some things, you know, so every year when you go to renew your license, you're going to have to submit these things now. You know, I get your point where does, is, do they actually have somebody who can review this stuff and actually look at it? No, it's more going to be a box checking exercise. Do you have this policy? Do you have that policy? Um, until they, you know, automate and, and, you know, maybe have some auditors, but Again, yeah, it's going to be more. We're coming in after the fact, and we're you know going to find you after after the event because now we know we did our investigation. We know you weren't doing X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. um, but this is just you know, this is a push for companies to do the right thing and hire companies like ours to help them with this. Right, Randy? Yep. Cool. So I'm going to end the show unless you guys. Speak now, forever hold your peace. We all what about good? that article we talked about about 30 minutes ago? Just kidding. <laughs> you want to go back to the uh, his, his second article? Press, I'm just one kidding. touch point. You want to yeah, talk about kidding. that again? Are we good? Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, boys. Thank you. Uh, we'll, uh, we will see everybody on the next episode. Take care, everyone. See you. Bye. -bye.